0: chapter 15 1 through 7. I'm speaking to you about the hope-filled life. We focus so much on saving faith. We are saved by grace through faith. This is the gift of God. Amen. But not only are we saved by faith, we are saved in hope. Hope in the Bible is so precious. It means that God promises good things are coming in the future and He's shown now what they are and we know that we have a fantastic, brilliant future and our hope is what keeps us going when we feel like giving up. The hope of God gives us endurance, encouragement, to hold firm and we should be a hope-filled community so that when we gather together hope, hope, hope is everywhere and we encourage one another and we strengthen one another and we stand firm so that no one is left behind. Encouragement and hope are essential for experiencing a positive and healthy life in Christ. Without hope, we are lost, and encouragement helps us to find us when we are losing our hope. The Christian community, all of us in Christ, we have encouragement and hope in abundant supply. So God wants us to learn to use this, use what we have to the full, so that we, we make sure that no one is left behind. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. Read it as it's on the screen and in your Bibles in front of you. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please our neighbour for his good To build him up. For Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, so that together you, with one voice, glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There is a saying which is attributed to St. Augustine. He was one of the early church fathers in the very beginning of the Middle Ages. But actually through my research, and thank God for Google, I discovered that actually it's better attributed to a man with a rather dubious name, Rupertus Meldinius. Who was he? Never mind he was, but listen to what he said. Speaking to the Christians of his generation, he said, you know what? We have so much in common, so in the essential things let there be complete unity. But there are things which are non-essential, certain theological details and cultural traditions and so forth which are not essential, but, but in these things let there be liberty. Let there be freedom, but in all things there must be charity. And this is important to remember when we fellowship with believers from different cultures, different backgrounds, maybe different spiritual traditions. We unite around those things which are essential. And we don't judge one another because we have some differences here and there. We unite around our unity in Christ. It's important also when we have fellowship with one another. Because in Kensington Temple we have people from different religious traditions and different spiritual backgrounds Uh, and even, I'm talking about Christian backgrounds, we come together and, and we don't major on the minors and judge people because of those peripheral differences. And also when it comes to culture. We're very careful. I've been ministering away this week and um, I, I, I had the main thing that was the, the unifying cultural factor was I was with people who had, have come to Christ from a Muslim background. But there were those who spoke Arabic and not just Arabic, Middle Eastern Arabic. And those who spoke Kurdish, the Kurdish language, and and I I actually found that there, there was a great deal of differences in culture and background amongst them and it was wonderful to see how we could unite in Christ. Culture can sometimes get in the way. I remember many years ago when after a meeting The Arab-speaking believers who were with us now, they meet in fellowships and that, Arab-speaking believers were incensed. What's the problem? How can that visiting preacher call himself a Christian? Well, he was a wonderful, spirit-filled man of God, but in order to demonstrate a point, probably something to do with Moses, he took his shoes off. And to do that in public is no, no, no way. And to do that on the platform was like the biggest cultural offence. And we had to explain, hey, 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 don't don't be offended by that because we have a a cultural thing here. And of course it's important to receive one another and to respect one another's cultures, but when we come together, there's only one culture we really want, and that's the culture of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Now, there are those who are easily offended theologically, religiously, culturally, and maybe doctrinally. And at a time like that, we don't push our liberty, our superior understanding, our maturity. So, some people were saying, you know, the issue of the day was whether you could eat meat sacrificed to idols. Those days are coming back because there's a lot of ritualistic meat being put out on the market, I'm sure you know. And and those who were mature in Christ, who understood the Bible, who understood the spiritual realm, though they knew that anything sacrificed to an idol was sacrificed to a demon, but the moment you blessed it, you received it with strong faith and say, God bless my food every demonic attachment and bondage was broken in the name of Jesus. But there were others who were weaker in their faith. They didn't have that knowledge. And so there was a big discussion, should we eat meat, sacrificed to idols? And there was all kinds of discussions. And Paul says, listen, don't do anything that stumbles your brother. Don't let your liberty be a way, uh, get in the way of your brother's edification. Rather, walk in love. Now I'm not so sure that there's a lot of those issues amongst us in exactly the same way. We live in the 21st century, not the first century. We live within a culture where we recognize that God has made all foods clean and we can take it. And, and that's not, not such a big issue. But there are other things that happen amongst us where we we need to have the same principle. Not to push our liberty or our superior knowledge or our experience in a way that stumbles other believers. Let me give you an example. There was a new believer in the church, not this one. The lady that I'm talking about was my spiritual mother. She's with Jesus now. She was an arch-disciplinarian. She, she, she was brought up spiritually within a, a very, very confined, legalistic, Pentecostal tradition. She loved God, but she was a stickler for rules. And she'd go around everyone in the congregation saying, your hair's this, you shouldn't dress like that, you should be ashamed of yourself. Well, anyway, God bless her. But anyway, when, when she was a fairly new believer, she heard a sermon. The sermon was on, do not do your deeds of righteousness before men to be seen by them. When you give, don't blow your trumpet. Keep it to yourself. What you give, don't be showy. And, and, and certainly don't acknowledge that you've given or how much you've given. Well, anyway, it was a November she told me this story much later on in her life she said there was November and you know what happens we have the poppy appeal you know the british legion uh, 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 and they have a poppy appeal it comes the imagery comes from the fields the poppy fields of flanders where so many soldiers died and it's become a symbol a fund raising symbol for Remembrance Day, and it's much more than of course giving so that families of those who lost their lives been affected by war can be blessed. It's about remembering the sacrifice. So the poppy stands for much more than just what you've put in the little poppy appeal box. But this is how it works. You you, you put whatever you put in, let's say one pound coin, bang, it goes in, they give you a poppy and you wear it. And when you wear it, I guess you're saying, hey, I've just given something. I guess that's, that's kind of what it means. Anyway, they had a meeting and this pastor came into the meeting wearing a red poppy and she was offended, she was incensed. How can you do that? Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't do your deeds of righteousness before men. Later on, she recognized how immature and how lacking in understanding she was. She was a new, new believer. So this good old wise pastor, what did he do? He said, oh, I'm sorry, took it off and put it in his pocket. Why? He didn't want to be a stumbling block to her. And he, he had the freedom to do that, it was not wrong, freedom to wear it. But he said, listen, if in any way, because this lady, this young lady, she, she, she really isn't, doesn't understand now, probably I'd have sat down and given her a two-hour Bible study and said and explained. But you know, sometimes your actions speak louder than your words. Think about that. This is the kind of thing I'm I'm talking about. How we behave when we fellowship together. Paul is invoking the principle of love, which always acts to the benefit of somebody else, even if you yourself have to climb down, or not assert yourself, or not vindicate yourself. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love edifies. Love builds up. And what is the real principle here? Rather than arguing about the uh, peripheral things, rather than entering into argument and debate, Paul says, look, Romans 14, verse 17, he says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I find that over the years, Bible teaches that I've seen it with my own eyes, the devil has many, many strategies. His most common strategy is... Divide and conquer. In other words, if he can get us arguing amongst ourselves, taking sides in one issue or another issue without grace, without charity, without humility, then you know we've got, we've got a big punch up going, spiritual punch up. And don't think it doesn't happen. I learned very early on how some of the most mature as spiritual people can be the most immature and the most unspiritual people when it comes to their favorite topics. I remember I was participating in probably one of the very first experiences of prayer and fasting. And I was excited, I'd seen prayer and fasting in the Bible, and this was great. We were gathering together a few of us to pray and fast. And there were two senior, I was going to say senior citizens, but as they were probably then younger than I am now, I won't say it, I won't say senior citizens, but mature Christians. All right. And one was a major in the army, a lieutenant colonel anyway. And the other was this same lady. You've learned a little bit about her. And... uh, There were differences between them. The Christian soldier believed that the Bible teaches us that we should be prepared to defend our country. And if our country needs us, it's our Christian duty. The other lady believed, uh, in common with many, many old Pentecostals, many of the old Pentecostal pioneering pastors, they were conscientious objectors and would prefer to go to prison rather than go to war. Now, Christians take different views on this, okay? So, there there we were, all ready, and I was ready to pray, and and then the the major, who later became a half-colonel, the major said, well, of course, have you seen our troops and how wonderful it is that these believers are fighting for their country? It was like a, a red rag to a bull. And not only did they start to argue about pacifism or going to war there are, that that is something to debate, it's something to to discuss, yes, but we don't fight over it. And the lady who was the pacifist was, I couldn't believe, I I just thank God she didn't have a gun in her hand. (laughs) And so she hit back with this, saying, well, I don't even know that you could be a Christian, and if you were a Christian by this morning, you will not be a Christian by tomorrow, you will have lost your salvation by the end of this night. I'm exaggerating a little bit in the story, just, uh, but it, it was almost, it's almost like that. And I just remember the shock that hit me as a relatively young Christian to see so clearly with young Christian eyes how the devil had got hold of my two mentors and they were fighting like cat and dog. It was like playground stuff. They would have been excluded from school if the teachers had been around. And yet these were my heroes. Have you ever been there? Ha, or may, it might not have been, maybe like a, a, a Christian leader, although we will fail you. Yes, we will. We will say and do things that are absolutely wrong. And, and, and we we got we to we work on this. we got to be good examples. Of course, of course, of course. But you know, somebody, might be your brother, might be your sister in Christ. It might be your cell leader, might be a cell member. You know what? Sometimes we can be so thoughtless, we can be so arrogant, and we can be so discouraging. Now, I have a dream. And this dream, I know when I read it to you, you'll see can only ever partially be fulfilled. It goes back to a country song from the Wild West. Home on the Range. Have you heard that song? Home on the Range. If I was Simon here with his beautiful golden voice, I would sing it. But I'm not, so I will spare you. And by the way, I want you to stay in the meeting and not have to rush out with earache. Home on the Range, a classic Western folk song. Sometimes called the unofficial anthem of the American West. I just quote a couple of lines. Dream with me. Home on the range, where the deer and the antelope prey. Is it antelope or buffalo? Anyway, buffalo. Antelope, thank you. Yes, I, when I read it at nine o'clock, I thought I got that wrong. Where the deer and the antelope play. Listen to this. Where seldom is heard. A discouraging word. And the skies are not cloudy all day. Well, you can see which bit is going to be a fantasy dream here in the United Kingdom. Although, when I said this at nine o'clock, the sun started to shine. And it looks a bit brighter out there. But it's the first thing. Just, just think. Just, just go with me on this. I know it's a bit of a silly illustration, but, but just go with me on this where seldom is heard a discouraging word. That's healthy. That's doable. We can't expect that Britain will change its climate overnight. Though if climate change keeps going on, that's another matter. As one Texan said in his Texan voice, Britain is a beauti- England's a beautiful country if only it had a roof over it. (laughs) There are certain things we're not in control of, but this we are in control of. We can become a community of God's people that are so encouraging to one another that would be unusual if anybody said anything discouraging. Now that's not just about being nice. Nice. Uh, You know, If Amanda wants my opinion on, you know, what works in terms of wardrobe, you know, like women do like husbands' opinions, they're always wrong anyway husbands on this kind of thing, but I got an eye, and and she's wearing something, or asked a question about something, I will give her my honest opinion, because she wants it. Can I have an amen? Yes, You see, she said amen. Two seconds too late, but she said an amen. And we don't help people, ultimately we don't encourage them by not telling them the truth. So it isn't about being, we can't ever say anything that might upset somebody because sometimes you've got to break eggs to make omelettes. But, but, but the other thing is though, is it's the spirit in which you do it, it's love and it's how you do it and it's how quickly you do it. How quickly you do it. In other words, We are there to present the truth in humility and instruct people and one another, especially mature believers to help young believers, but never by criticising them and always by encouraging them. Now I want to ask you a question. Has Have you ever had a discouraging word? You're not so sure. Has somebody ever spoken to you a word of criticism? A spiritual put down? Now, I'm not going to go into the psychology. I'm not a psychologist, but there was a psychiatrist here in the first meeting, and she was nodding at me when I was saying a few things. There's a reason why we do that. There's a reason why we put other people down. There's a reason why we criticize. There's a reason why we spread division. Because we are so insecure in our own lives and that all that we can do is to make ourselves look better by criticizing other people. Now, I'm not pointing a finger. We all do this. It's, it's part of our flesh. We're very defensive and sometimes we go on the offensive and we feel good because when we do that, we, uh, we shouldn't feel good, but sometimes we feel good because we, we're actually feeling so under so much threat and lack of assurance and, and in our own lives. So there are reasons for it. So it's not a simple thing, but, uh, but actually at the end of the day, if we are prepared to watch our mouth, so that's not the right way of saying it. That's what my mother used to say, watch your mouth. So let me, let me bring this up to date. If we're prepared to, to be careful how we speak, is that better? <laughs> That's better. I called my mom up and said, you should have told me to be careful how I speak, not to watch my mouth. Because I just told 700 people to watch their mouths. And actually, the discipline of the tongue is a discipline of the whole of your spiritual life. And, and sometimes, when, when we find ourselves just thinking those thoughts which are negative, discouraging, and disparaging one another, we need to take it straight to Jesus and say, Why? Lord, I don't want this. This is not who I am. I, I, I want to be positive, I want to be encouraging. And sometimes people are very encouraging because they want your vote. Have you noticed that? It's vote time in nation. Have you noticed that? Everybody wants your vote. So the promises that are coming out of politics, I tell you what, if those promises are fulfilled, I'd vote for all of them, but I'd expect that we'd be living in heaven in about eight weeks' time whenever it's happening. Sometimes we flatter people in order to ingratiate them. Because we are, we've got some kind of a campaign going on. Vote for me, I'm feeling bad about myself. Anyway, let, let, let's not go too deeply. That the message isn't really about that. The message is quite simply making a commitment to deal with whatever's going on inside here that we can speak encouraging words. And one of the best ways of doing this is to watch your emotions. Watch your emotions. Because the worst thing that can happen is for you to be unaware of your emotions and let your emotions take over. The emotional life is God's gift to us. We are not spiritual Dr. Spocks. Have I got it right? Was that the old television series? Star Trek. Is the Dr. Spock? Is that right? Thank you for those who watch television, I feel better. In the story, he has no emotions. And there is a good side of us where we can be rational and don't let emotions dictate our decisions. But we're not just rational people, we're also emotional people. And a life without emotions would be looking at the world through a black and white lens I mean you know no color no depth but when emotions start going wrong and our emotions take over we have to not only be aware of our emotions but we have to know what to do to control them and one of the best ways of doing that is keeping your eyes on Jesus To such an extent that his thinking becomes your thinking. His view of you becomes your view of you. His truth about your life becomes the truth that you live by. Including how you think about yourself and other people. At the end of this, Paul is getting to this point. He was preaching because there was division. There were the Jews and the Gentiles who were squabbling in that church. And Paul wants unity. So he finishes this, as we saw at the very end of the reading. Therefore, receive one another as Christ has received you. That is his take-home message. He is saying, whatever the background is, whatever that person is, if Christ has received them, you receive them. And the receiving here means bringing them to yourself, bringing them into your heart, Bring them into your circle. In other words, you include them. You don't exclude them. And we need to be included. We need one another to include us. Amen and amen. Because Christ has included us. And we have no right to exclude anybody or or to build factions or differences amongst us, especially over secondary issues, so that God's kingdom will come and righteousness will reign and peace will flourish and joy will be our experience. Can we give Jesus a big praise for that? Amen and amen. Now, one of the ways... That we deal with emotions. um, Those emotions that hold us back. You know, basically, discouragement. It's terrible when you feel discouraged. Uh, And the English word, as, as we see, it means the courage is taken out of you. I mean, you're discouraged. And there's so much that will discourage us. The enemy is the dirty big discourager. If he can discourage you, especially, you know, you're going the right way and the devil discourages you. And sometimes well-meaning Christians have written the devil a letter, you can go on holiday this Sunday because I'm going to do your work for you. And they become discouragers. And when you are discouraged by the people who are your spiritual family, I mean, that's a double discouragement. If a demon-possessed atheist, I've never met one, but if there was, and it hasn't happened to me, at least not recently, but there's still a few hours to go for this day is over, and they, they come out and verbally attack you and blaspheme the name of Jesus, you will say, well, poor man, He needs Jesus. You will pray for him. But when your best friend or your cell members or your cell leader or anybody who is a believer says it or could not, they wouldn't do that, of course, but if they bring a discouragement to you, it's ten times worse. Don't forget you have a great power to encourage one another. And when we encourage one another, a unity comes. When we discourage one another, a disunity comes. And then then people start gathering around secondary issues. Secondary issues. And there's some important second things. But nothing is more important than the kingdom of God, his righteousness, his peace and his joy. So Paul is acting as a spiritual doctor. And he's writing a prescription. And he says, now I want you to understand this. You you need to encourage one another. And through encouragement and through the scriptures, you will have hope. Let's go to this. So here we have it. It is in verse uh, 3. For Christ did not please himself, and that's what this is all about. Love sometimes means taking it on the chin, means not retaliating, not trying to defend yourself, not trying to educate those who you think have inferior knowledge than you do, but you roll with it. You're bearing with the failings of the weaker brother and the weaker sister, not by saying, oh, I see You are a weak brother, so I will have to put up with you. God bless you, but don't trouble me for the rest of the day, please. Love bears with the weak. Love encourages the weak, okay? So he says, let us please his neighbor and how to build him up. For Christ, verse 3, did not please himself, but as it is written. Everybody say, written. Now, when it says it is written," what is Paul referring to? No trick question. If it is written, it is what? Say it out loud. Scripture. It's written in Scripture. So, you know, uh, um, the light goes on, now, first light goes on. Go to the Bible for your encouragement. Let God speak to you an encouraging word. Not seldom is heard a discouraging word in the Scripture. Never is heard a discouraging word of Scripture. He is the great encourager. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of consolation, encouragement, motivation, strength. And even in His rebuke, He is encouraging us. Go to the scripture. Now, it's more than that because it says, as it is written, and he quotes a scripture, which actually is Psalm 69, verse 9. The zeal of your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Now, we've heard this, the zeal of your house has consumed me. The disciples remembered that scripture when they saw Jesus zealously pushing out the money changers and those who were commercializing and making huge profit in temple tax um, and in um, currency exchange in the temple. So what this tells me is that Jesus was so zealous for the kingdom of God, so zealous for the glory of God, that not only was he wanting to put things right that were going wrong, but he was also prepared to take the consequences of things that were going wrong upon himself. And the difference between the two is what we could say collateral damage. What's collateral damage? When there is a war, let's say one nation is fighting against another nation, and you've got the militia, you've got the military people, you've got the armies, the soldiers fighting. I mean, in my mind, that's bad enough. But, but who gets hurt? Not just the soldiers. I read a statistic on, on um, one of the uh, missions, uh, World Mission website. I can't remember whether it was 80% or 90% but we, we can choose either, but a very, very high percentage, 80 or 90% of the casualties of war are innocent civilians. Mamas and babies and old people and, and children, houses are destroyed. And I listened this week as I heard people who had come straight from the devastation in Syria talking about how their lives have been destroyed, loved ones lost, and they weren't soldiers, they weren't part of this It's because they're caught up against two warring factions. And so Jesus says, I will speak the righteousness and I will do, I will drive out these money changers, but I will not vindicate myself ahead of time, for that will be damaging to people. If Jesus vindicated himself, none of us would be here because we don't deserve his goodness. But he held back and he said, let all the reproaches of God fall upon me. And we know that he did that mainly and fully at the cross, when he took all the reproaches of all the sin of all humanity upon himself, that we might be blessed and saved. Yes, give him a praise. By the way, verses 6 to 9 of Psalm 69 proves to me that Paul had this whole psalm in his mind. He is actually writing a sermon in Romans 15 based on Psalm 69. Jesus would rather suffer dishonor than be a stumbling block to others. He'd rather suffer reproach than vindicate himself ahead of time and harm others in the process. He would rather suffer for righteousness' sake than assert himself unrighteously. He accepted being seen to be in the wrong, though he was never in the wrong, if it meant protecting others and saving them through his death on the cross. And so Paul says... Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. In other words, in other words, linking up to this one who would never vindicate or justify himself but was prepared to bear with the failings of the weak that he might lift them up. And he says, verse 6, that together you may with one voice, see the unity here? The unity here? One voice! Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, his big conclusion, welcome one another. This is where he's getting at. Your great preacher is Paul. Welcome one another because what he's writing here was the Jews and the Gentile believers were fighting each other, criticizing each other. You eat pork. That's disgusting. God won't bless you. You don't eat pork. God can't bless you. I mean, I don't think the opposite ever was said. And this tells us that the biggest demonstration of the love and glory of God amongst us is our unity and harmony of Christ. Whatever our denominational background Whatever our racial background, whatever our cultural background, whatever our place or position in in, in society we come from, we're all one in Christ Jesus. And the world doesn't know it. They can't believe it. Why we love one another. Amen? Sometimes I look around and I can't believe it either, but it's true. Amen? This is the Holy Spirit. This is the love of God. And this is why... We are full of hope because we know that we're not just saved by faith but the things that we demonstrate and talk about here are the very hope upon which we build our lives and God wants us to share that hope with the world.